you know, I think as an, as a coach of endurance athletes, um, unless you're working with all elite level athletes, you're always going to be working with people on hearing their weight loss challenges. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a, it's part of it because a lot of people come to the sport as they view it as part of a way that they can lose weight and that's fine and good. Uh, so yeah, it's something you deal with, you know, commonly, but I see, you know, the, mis the, the mentality and you read about it all the time, the mentality of, well, I just did, you know, X number of hours, two days, you know, I can eat whatever. I mean, that, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but man, it is so true. People that thought that mindset is really prevalent mm -hmm. with age group athletes. Yeah. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all new, all natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. Back here today for episode 100. We've hit a century, as he said before we got going. He is a former coach of Paralympic gold medalist, Sean Morelli. Currently, he's a certified public accountant. He has a host of credentials, which he's let lapse, but as we were talking about, it doesn't really matter. The knowledge doesn't disappear just because you didn't pay your dues to whichever organization is certifying you. Um, and of course, the thing that matters most to me, he is my coach. So I work with him on a day-to-day -day basis. Welcome to the show, Ryan Ross. Thanks, JF. Appreciate the introduction. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I thought it was fair or maybe um, appropriate to have you back for episode 100. Like I said, you know, you came on for the very first episode when I yep. didn't know how to talk to people or figure out if I could talk for an hour or any of that. So it, you know, it makes it easy to make you a recurring guest when you're I there mean, at the I very this beginning. Is bigger, this is bigger than when Wilt scored a hundred in a game. Isn't it? <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't I mean, know. Come on. <laughs> I mean, we're I, a century ride here. Century ride. Yeah. I, you know, and I haven't even made a century ride yet. And that, which is fine You've by me. you never done a century ride? No. Not once? No. You're in charge of my training. You should know. <laughs> well, I know, but maybe sometime before that, maybe sometime. No, no. The long, I mean, the longest we were going, we were doing those five hour rides. That was the longest I'd gone. And I, I'm trying to remember, I was getting up to, uh, let me think about that, like 80, 85 miles on those. And yeah. that was, that was it. I mean, I, and well, I mean, in a way it was almost like a century because I had to come back and go run five miles after I got done with that, which is kind of like worse. riding another 15. Yeah, worse probably. Well, I'll make a note. We'll, we'll put that on the agenda next week. Are you ready for that? <laughs> right. Or just, I mean, just break it up over, you know, the week and then maybe I'll be fine. <laughs> but, you know, cha changing objectives, obviously with, you know, me coming back this year and trying to go back to running and uh, yeah. stop being a, a heavy triathlete. Got to get back to being leaner and uh, all those things that come along with trying to be fast at running. I was just talking about this with um, another recording from today. And 
talking to her about it was a, a lady who works in this company called Hydro. They make mm-hmm. rowing machines. Um, it's like the Peloton of rowing, basically. Oh, interesting. And uh, I was asking her about like caloric burn because I did this running video on the YouTube channel. So if you're not listening, check up the YouTube channel. I have a, a show just about running, uh, youtube.com slash solpri, S-O-L-P-R-I. Um, I did a video about how long does it take to burn a thousand calories when you're running? It's basically give or take, you burn a hundred calories a mile. So it takes 10 miles. doesn't matter how much you weigh, how fast you're going. Uh-huh. That's roughly what it's going to be. So I was asking her about, you know, is there any rule like that with rowing? And I just didn't think the whole thing through. And it's kind of like cycling where it's all about, it's more about like lean mass and how much power you're producing compared to like how much you weigh for like caloric production since it's mm-hmm. not weight bearing like running is like yeah, there's... So the, the burn isn't as as intense in cycling or rowing as it will be in running right well she, she would probably have a, a, a an argument with the the burn and versus running but this I didn't get a chance no. to ask her about it. I, I know she, she disagreed because there was a runner's world article about it and she disagreed, but I, we ran out of time. So maybe I'll have to email her about it and ask, but. Well, if you do them, you also have to take into account, like if you or I go to row hard for an hour, we're going to burn more calories than she's going to burn because she, she's way more efficient at what she's doing. Right. You well, that's one of the to... things she said is like, it, it also depends on like how, how, you know, how good your rowing form is basically. Yeah. 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 And your experience and your efficiency with it. I mean, it's kind of like if you have, if you're, if you're not a runner and you start running and you go run two miles at an eat what you perceive as an easy pace. Well, over time, your heart rate drops mm-hmm. when you do that. Thus your calories you're burning also drops. Right. So efficiency comes into play you know quite a bit as well yeah i i kind of wonder how that that plays into that 100 calorie a mile rule it can't Um, be a hard and fast rule it can't be even though even though i hear you that no no it's 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 not perfect in that it does vary but it's like it doesn't vary enough for it to be like substantial because it's it's the the big varying part is largely going to be weight and then uh-huh. incline would be the other variable so like sure, sure. if you're going a mile uphill it's going to take more work that, you know it's just a, it's a physics equation right like work is you're out there longer well no no um i'm gonna get this wrong work is in jewels gotta write this down work well, hold on a second. If you Distance run times force. one mile mm-hmm. versus running flat for one mile, unless you're running really hard when you run flat, I mean, or running super, super, I mean, it's going to take longer to go up the hill than it is to run flat. Yeah, but it's not, it's not the time. See, we're, we're so based in time. It's not the time that we're concerned with. So work is typically in joules but you can convert joules to calories work is distance times force time's not a factor it's how far you went and how much force was produced but like the distance you went is when you're running is a factor of how much force you're producing so like there's this kind of 
tied together relationship of distance and force where like if i can produce more force i can travel farther in one bound or one leg leap than somebody who can produce less force of the same size right yeah so our calories burn the work done is the same but if you increase the incline it requires more force to go the same distance so that's yeah. when the variable changes. Yeah. Otherwise, speed isn't a factor. It's just the total distance covered because it requires, so like if it, if it takes, I'll just say five, five units of force to, to cover a meter, then it takes five units of force to cover a meter. If my foot can produce five units of force in one stroke, I can cover that meter with one leg swing. If you can only do one, it's going to take you five legs, leg swings, but it still only took five units of force to cover it. So like there's, there's that, that's the reason that that hundred calories per mile basically holds true. The biggest variable is weight because it takes more force to move larger bodies and then incline because it takes more force to work against gravity than if you're on the flat. So that's why I said, it's just a rule of thumb but that's why it holds basically true. It's not intuitive in the least, but I mean, as I looked into it, I was like, oh, that it, it makes perfect sense. It, I, I would definitely agree. It's pretty, it's going to be very close. Um, but let me ask you this. I think efficiency is going to obviously play a role too. Like if you're not as compact, if you're flailing your arms, clearly you're doing more work because you're doing all this nonsensical movement, but let me ask you this: Why is the why is the calories we burn important? Is this because we're thinking, as the individual might be thinking about weight loss? Um, that's why I think the question came up. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to base a lot of my videos on questions people are asking, and it was something that I saw specifically a thousand calories because I think people just like dial in on like a thousands a lot, and how much do I have to do to do a thousand? <laughs> So I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's figure this out. Basically it's are 10 they, miles. Are, are they as concerned about what they're eating in their day-to-day -day diet? Right. In their attempt to weight, lose weight rather than nailing down how many calories am I burning every single mile? I mean, I, right. I think we know what's more important. Well, oh, clearly, I mean, I just did, the video just came out uh, today as we're recording this. No, wait, it's Friday now. Yesterday about can running give you six pack abs? That's another question that came up. And the answer is kind of, Yeah, <laughs> but I, you yeah, gotta eat probably. right. Like, and I talk about that and how, you know, I've never, I've never had a six pack, but that like I, there's, I had a friend in college on, my, on the team I ran on. He always had a six pack. I was usually faster than him, mm -hmm. but he looked better than I did. <laughs> I mean, I'll yeah, take being fast, know, though. You know, if you look around, if you look at elite level, like, runners, triathletes, cyclists, you don't see six-pack abs anywhere. Hardly not usually, like, no. Not really, because it's not important. No. I mean, abdom ab now, proper abdominal strength is important. Yeah. But six-pack abs is, is, not, uh, is not the type of strength that we're looking for. We're looking for something much deeper, transverse abdominus. Um, so yeah, that's why you don't see a bunch of runners and triathletes with, they might be lean, 
mm-hmm. you know, but that's kind of a waste. Yeah, it's, it, it does, it, I mean, you've heard me, I don't know how many, we've been working together a number of years now, I don't know how many times I've said, this is year I'm going to finally have a six pack, I, I, I probably say it every year, um, has yet to happen, but uh, I don't know what the, obviously, and I say, I say that to, to say that I'm subject to this too, but I don't know what the obsession is with it, culturally, like, is it, is that, is that the ultimate sign of fitness? Like it's the ultimate well, sign of male virility. Like I've got a six pack, like I, to some people it might be, I mean, know. to some, yeah. I mean, to some people it, it definitely might be, but, um, uh, what's your like, okay. So if your goal is I want a six pack abs, it's kind of hard to define. Right. I mean, how, you know, as an endurance athlete, we can, you can more objectively define a goal Right. And saying, I want to get six pack abs, especially when it's not important. And it's going to take a lot of time to develop those six pack abs away from other things. I mean, you know, so. Oh, but I, I, your day's coming. I have I have no doubt you <laughs> one of these days, one of these views, you're going to pull up that shirt. and I'm going to be like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I mean, we can only hope. I feel like <laughs> I'm trying not to worry too much about it. It's just like right now it's like trying to stay in you know healthy weight loss having the kitchen back helps. Yeah. So, you know, if you're just listening, you missed out. I did a wrap up video at the end of the year for last year's question, the purpose of sport on the YouTube channel, again, youtube.com slash Um, I showed a, at that time, a basically empty kitchen. I can't remember whether we had the flooring yet. So we went like four months of just lots of eating out and, barely cooking anything because we were cooking we had the microwave in the living room and a cooking top like a little burner in the dining room and the oh yeah the fridge in the sunroom just running around the house trying to assemble it and by by we i mean my lovely fiance was doing most of it and tearing her hair out trying to do her best to feed me so you know that poor girl bless her um she she works hard to, to make sure I'm fed because it's me that is the issue. She would eat just about anything and I have to be fed because I work out so much. Uh, but now we got, now we got the kitchen, uh, at least functional. It's not done. And uh, we can go back to eating relatively regular, which is nice. It would be good for you too. So you don't have to hear me complain about, I can't lose weight. I can't lose weight. Yeah, it, it, if you're eating out a lot, it's hard to lose weight because restaurant food has so many hidden calories. You think about cooking oils, yeah, and things like that that they use. And I mean, I always tell people like one of my golden rules of nutrition is you don't eat dairy at a restaurant. Period. Right. You just don't, because um, that's going to be massive amounts of calories as well. Because um, they're not obviously choosing, you know, skimmed versions of dairy. And I mean, I'm not a dairy eater anyway. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that you, I'm not surprised that you're going to see a difference. Yeah, well, that's what, like we noticed this week. It was like I dropped a couple of pounds too quickly because I'd gone back, you know, eating at home, and I like I just tried to cut out like 200 calories from the day, but it was like an unconscious overcorrection without eating out as much. So mm-hmm. then the last couple of days, I've had to eat all my planned snacks and stuff and, you know, kind of gain the weight back to where I should be instead of taking that like 
deep plunge where I didn't, I didn't like, I couldn't, this is the danger. If you're listening, if you're trying to cut weight is as an athlete, if you cut it too quickly, then you have no energy. So like, this is rest week for me. And Ryan set me up to do, you know, not a tough set in the pool by any means, like tempo to threshold hundreds. And it should have been relatively easy, but it was like, I just, I had no energy and like, I couldn't even get my heart rate above like, what's the 24 for 10. So that's like 144 beats a minute was like the highest I could get it going. Cause I had, I was just pooped. I, I couldn't, and I could only do that for a couple. It was like, I was sitting at like 130 beats a minute. Yeah. When normally when I'm fueled at the end of those, I can crank up to 160, 170 sprints are at 180, 185, but that's, you know, that's where you got to be careful. And uh, yeah, I don't know through the, the different athletes you've had and you've got more strength athletes now, don't you? Than, than endurance people. Um, I teach some strength training classes. Okay. Everyone that I coach is still endurance oriented. Gotcha. Um, but I, I, at a local gym that I go to, I teach strength training classes. Yeah. I just don't know, you know, if you've got how many of your athletes are focused on like, I need to be such and such weight. Cause I really am not focused on that for a long time. I just eat and it's whatever. Um, I mean, I definitely still have people who have weight loss goals Yeah, and people who, um, need to have weight loss goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, it's, you know, I think as an, as a coach of endurance athletes, not, um, unless you're working with all elite level athletes, you're always going to be working with people on hearing their weight loss challenges. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's part of it. And Cause a lot of people come to the sport as they view it as part of a way that they can lose weight and that's fine and good. Uh, so yeah, it's something to deal with, you know, commonly, but I see, you know, the, mis- the, the mentality and you read about it all the time, the mentality of, well, I just did, you know, X number of hours, two days, you know, I can eat whatever. I mean, that, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but man, it is so true. People that thought that mindset is really prevalent. Mm-hmm with age group athletes yeah and it kind of leads to you you don't ever see bodies change i mean i mean you really because after a while as an endurance athlete after a while your body gets you know plateaus and things like that yeah and you know what percent of potential weight loss is from nutrition and it's like at least 75 percent of what you're doing nutritionally and the mistakes that are being made, you know, with the, with, with, with poor, poor diet choices. Yeah. This, one of the big, um, I'll say revelations, but maybe that's the right word. Uh, for me was after college, I was working with, um, a, a nutritionist at the gym. Now this guy was a, a bodybuilder, but you know, he was really dialed in on like, you know, what you need to be eating. I disagreed with him. Uh, on several counts as he wanted me to eat way too much protein. And by that, I mean, like his target for me was like 400 grams of protein a day. Oh my just, goodness. Just in, in, I could get, I was hitting like 250 and hitting a wall. And I was like, I just cannot, I just cannot do it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like some, you know, some of those things, it's important to listen 
to your body going like, no, like stop, stop it. Yeah. Like, stop it. This is insane. Um, but one of the things he did, I think was important was he was like, okay, well, let's look at your workouts. Let's figure out how many calories you're burning. And then that gets averaged over the week. So it's not like, you know, oh, you're doing a huge workout on Sunday. So then you can gorge yourself Sunday evening. And then you have a light workout on Monday. So you barely eat anything. It's like, it, it all averages out. Now, I adjusted that a little bit back when we were doing the 70.3 training and I was going out for those five hour rides and half hour runs. Like I'd eat a little more on yeah. Sunday just because you're out for five hours. I mean, that's a 3000 calorie ride. You just need a little something. Otherwise you're going to be toast for the next day, which was usually my long runs go out for a half marathon the next day. But it, that's the kind of mentality I basically adopted where it's like, that's why that hundred calorie mile rule works out nice. Cause I can say, Oh, we're running 40 miles this week. That's 4,000 calories. Bike and swim, you know, an hour of swimming or hour, hour 15, six, 700 calories indoor bike. I don't burn as much. So four or 500 calories an hour, split it up. That's where I'm at. Knock 200 calories a day off of that. And that's all so that I'm not pooped, but you know, I had that overcorrection on accident and that's so are, are the difficulty that, are you saying that you try to match it up day to day and adjust or are you staying balanced so i'm trying to basically eat roughly the same amount of calories every single day that's good yeah the the other way is not as effective right the the like yo-yo method where it's like yeah, you can't, it doesn't work because no you end up because if you think about it if you have if you have a 2000 calorie day burn, you're going to end up, you know, over 4,000 plus whatever. Right. I mean, your body can't process that much food appropriately. Right. When you try to eat that, it is way better to just say, okay, this is kind of where I need to be. I need to kind of creature of habit myself to be, you know, within this eating range. Yeah. And it's also, I kind of feel it's easier to uh, balance out what you're eating as well. And then you yeah. can plan carbohydrate, protein, fat, fruit, vegetable, all that kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, and you know, like, like I said, it's, uh, probably un unfair of me, but, um, you know, my fiance takes care of pretty much the, the food planning. And so I know like, basically I don't have to worry about dinner and often I eat dinner for leftovers for lunch the next day. Breakfast yeah. basically doesn't change. I have a pretty cute couple pretty standard snacks. So for me, it was just a matter of take out one of those 200 calorie snacks. And that's the only adjustment that has to be made. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, I always feel like it's a difficult subject. I do like to talk about it because it, it is kind of this undercurrent, I think for a lot of people who have, you know, like body image issues or, uh, come to the sport from that aspect where it's uh -huh. like oh yeah you, you know they think thinner is better and then there's the i think you and i talked about this obviously off the air but that this idea that well if you're a pound lighter then it's two pounds per second or two two seconds per mile faster for running it's like well okay but only if you're talking non-functional like weight loss yeah if you lose two pounds of muscle, you're not going to be 
Right. Like, right. That's, 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 that's not helpful. So, but because of the, the problems with how those studies are set up, you can't really test like functional versus non-functional fitness. They basically like give them weights to carry around and then take the weights off and see how fast they can go. It's like, well, duh, <laughs> it's, it's completely yeah. dead weight. And you also have, um, especially with the female athletes, yeah, um, the injury risk that can be associated with uh, hyper weight loss. Um, there's so, I mean, with the bone density decreases and things like that. I mean, there's definitely, um, and, and you know, a large part of it is you know what the female body goes through. Um, too much weight loss, you gotta, you gotta, you, they have to be careful. Yeah. No, they have to be careful. And uh, so, so along the lines of nutrition, I, I was talking about this the other day um, when I was talking about, I did a video on, on, I think like two, like the two, I don't know if I called them superfoods, but like go-to foods basically. Um, no, okay. for, what were they? For run, Well, the number one was spinach. Oh yeah, that's. Because you can add it to like anything. It doesn't yeah. change the flavor of your dishes very much. Um, and if you were to Google pretty much any micronutrient, I mean, or it's hard, it's hard to Google looking. So like, if you want to, if you say, I need more magnesium, I want more magnesium, I want more calcium, I want more beta carotene. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's all, you're going to find it there. And uh, a lot in a lot of the good nuts too. It's like, right. you see a lot of the good nuts every time. I mean, anytime you try to research getting certain nutrients or amino acids. Yeah. What's your other one? Well, the other one is, is where you come in as a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Cause oh. it's got, it's got so much good stuff in it. It's so basic. Like, I think we take it for granted cause it's like, Oh, that's, it's for kids, but it's like, no, like, and Todd has that, you know, I don't know if you watch Todd's episodes of the show. Um, I can't remember what he came back on episode three and then, and like episode 29 or something like that. Um, Todd, one of Todd's like go-to snacks or post-race meals is a PB and J. It tastes yeah. good. It's got carbs, fat, protein, like yeah. it, it's got so much good stuff in it and it's so accessible Mm-hmm. which is why I mentioned you and where you come in um, starting your nonprofit Kansas City mm-hmm. PBJ project. So I, I kind of want to give you a little opportunity to talk more about what you're doing, little, why you're doing one, it. I just had one a little while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one probably almost every day, almost every day. Well, that's basically yeah. what my breakfast is. It's like, like protein waffles with peanut butter and jelly. It's pretty much what oh, I eat nice. every day. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I love how you, you, you have that as one of your two superfoods. I, I think that's pretty, uh, <laughs> well, pretty I think cool. part of it is, is being, it's, it's being accessible. Like there, you know, the whole like craze about SAE and it's like, okay, let's, nobody's eating this, but let's start cramming it into everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fine. Like, I, you know, it, it, I've had, well, it is, I, you know, I've had the privilege, I say it is privilege of, of going to Hawaii and they have a um, traditional culture. And I, I think it's born of Hawaii, but I could be very wrong, of acai bowls. And we've had them back here in Kansas City. They are not like in Hawaii. They're still good, not the same, 
I like acai, but it just, it's not as accessible. And the one thing I have figured out or concluded is like, you just got to make things dumb, simple. And I don't mean that people are dumb. I mean, we only have so much brain power to devote to things. And if you've got to devote like brain power every single day to like, what am I going to eat? What's the perfect, it's like, you're just, you're going to drive yourself nuts, number one, and then you're not going to get anything done. So like having these easy go-to things where I like, I know I'm going to get the macros I need in the case of the PB&J and then all, all a ton of micronutrients with the spinach. That's why they're my, they too, because they're accessible and they're no brainers. Yeah. Okay. That, I like that. I like that a lot. I like the simplicity. It's hard to say that to triathletes sometimes <laughs> because triathletes like to make things more challenging than they should be. Right. I've, I've always noticed that highly successful athletes oftentimes tend to be ones that just kind of go with the flow yeah. and don't, don't obsess over every little detail. Right. Um, and it kind of goes back to, you know, what you were just saying and keeping that simple because you're right. I mean, macronutrient standpoint, it's there. I mean, and you know, a PBJ, you can, first of all, you can get a lot of variation within that simplicity, and, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like pizza to where you can have super unhealthy pizza. Yeah. You could make some choices within a PBJ that maybe aren't real good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very easy and very accessible to make good choices. Yeah. You know, with, with the products you're choosing as well. So is that, I mean, is that the idea behind focusing on PB and J for, for the startup and, and what, if for people that are listening, they probably have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so can, I guess, can you give a, a brief um, overview on what your nonprofit is doing? And then yeah, go, so, come back uh, to why you're doing it. Yeah. So the, the nonprofit uh, is called the KC PBJ project. And uh, my family started this about a, about a year ago. And we started, you know, kind of in the midst of COVID when they were talking about, you know, they were showing on TV, like the pictures of the food pantries and stuff with the, like the cars lined up for miles and miles and stuff. And I've done some food pantry volunteer work myself. And it, it just, it kind of hit home with me and brought back memories of, you know, serving those people, working with those people and the challenges that they have, the challenges, the challenges of the food pantry system, which we were witnessing right there on TV with, you know, the lines of cars and stuff. So what our nonprofit does is families can apply for assistance through us here in the Kansas City area, and they will receive um, a once a month delivery of enough bread, peanut butter, and jelly um, you know, to supplement their, the food in their household, you know, for a month. So we have right now, we got about 75 families that we're serving or households, as I like to call them, because some people are it's just one person households. Um, we got about 75 and we use a network of volunteers to service most of those. And then we have a small amount that we service from just from in-house that we service through like product donations and cash donations as well. So um, it's a very, again, we're using this word a lot today. It's a very simple concept because um, our volunteers just simply, you know, call up their families once a month and make that delivery to them. And, you know, we've had, uh, the feedback has just been tremendous from both the volunteers and the families, what they're getting out of it. Um, So, 
it's been a great thing. And, um, you know, I would, <laughs> I would love to be able to, I don't know if I want to say I'd want to do it, you know, as my, my full-time job, because I'm not sure um, financially quite how that would work or mm -hmm. how we could make that work. But um, it's, we've streamlined the operations a lot since we started and it, it's basically set up now to where we can scale it we got 75 we could do 750 um through the as long as we continue to network for volunteers and stuff so um yeah it's it's uh it's been great well say so i know you know you and i talked about it uh again off the podcast not recording um so you know you were kind of hitting a wall there mm -hmm. for a little while as you were still personally hand delivering and stuff and I think maybe this is an opportunity for you to speak personally, but I think sometimes it's hard. There's a lot of, I'll say hate for like CEOs or people at the top of organizations right now. Um, and sometimes for good reason. Um, but I think it's hard sometimes for people to relate to the demands of being the head of an organization that's in charge of a large mass of people, be it a mm -hmm. fortune 100 company or, uh, you know, a nonprofit. So can you talk about a little bit like the challenges you're running into and um, the reasons for kind of streamlining operations? Well, we streamlined because I was starting to, so, so when we first started out, the vision was, was, We'll collect money and donations, and then we'll ship or deliver all these products to all, to all these people, okay? So, and then I remember the first time we got requests, four requests came in in one day. So, um, I went down to the basement where we had pre-purchased some product, you know, uh, from the money from donations, and I packaged them up. And I put shipping labels on them and I shipped them out and I looked at my watch and I'm like, we've got the capacity to serve about eight households at this rate that we're going right now. So I was like, okay, so this is fine right now, but this is going to have to evolve. You know, it's going to have to change. It's going to have to evolve. So I just, one day I just came up, so many people were telling me they love the concept and everything. It was great. And one day I just came up with the concept that we need to just get people to adopt these families and deliver on their own and donate, you know, buy the goods on their own because people are wanting to donate and help. And as my experience as a volunteer is that when you're close to the benefactor and you have that personal touch with them, you get a lot more out of your experience rather than if you just send money somewhere or with a lot of volunteer opportunities where, you know, you maybe you don't have that, you know, if you're, if you're packing backpacks of food um, at a school for the kids, I mean, you're, you don't have that personal touch really with who you're working for or who you're donating to. And so with our concept, I thought we could do a lot of things here. We can service more households and we can give people an awesome volunteer opportunity. And I've had a lot of people come to me and say, they have, you know, they've developed personal relationships with the households and, and how great it is and how they compare it to other volunteer things they've done. I had a guy like last week tell me he tried to volunteer somewhere and they're having him fill out all this paperwork and he's going to have to do all this training. And, and I was like, yeah, I mean, 
you know, we keep it simple and you get a lot out of it because you have that personal relationship with our benefactor. So we came up with that concept and that's really kind of where it started. I was like, okay, now this is where, this is where we can scale up now. Mm -hmm. This is where we can basically help an unlimited number of people by simply developing a network of volunteers to match to the families as we get requests. I would say our biggest challenge right now is probably two things. Um, one is just getting, actually getting, getting volunteers is easy, but getting, we, we are, we need more people. We, we know there's more families out there, more households that can use the assistance. So we need to reach more households. And we've got some plans to do that here this spring, for sure, to get our, to get numbers up. The other is that just because of my connections and such, and because we are out of Olathe, we don't tend to get a lot of volunteers in other parts of the metropolitan area. So mm -hmm. if I get a request today from, let's just say, Raytown, from a family in Raytown, I don't have a volunteer in the Raytown area right now to service them. I'd have to go out in social media and try to find one, um, which is a challenge. But if I got, you know, if I had a family request in the Olathe, Overland Park type area, um, I, I would have them connected in uh, same day right? because we have we have wait list of volunteers right now um, in those areas so developing our volunteers in other parts of our metropolitan area is kind of the second challenge as well so but we're going to start working on both those aspects now that we've kind of grown it to where we, are, we got our systems down and everything so mm -hmm. I'm really comfortable right now working to grow because I'm not doing, I'm not doing deliveries anymore. We right. have um, delivery volunteers who service the ones that we still service from in-house inventory. So those are the challenges. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll have to- But they're good challenges. They're growing pain type challenges. Right, I'll have to keep thinking about that because I know that figuring out how to do scale is always uh, a challenge for different industries, especially when you're talking about scaling with people um but it's like the to me it seems like the challenge is getting past your own personal network yes. like how do you reach yeah. people how do you reach people that you've never spoken to and, and have them want to get involved right and also locally so i mean obviously we've talked about off air we've talked about like paid ad options and stuff but there's got to be some smarter way that and we're I just am not familiar ads. with it. Yeah, we're going to do some paid ad stuff on both sides of it. Um, you know, we're fortunate enough through our donors that, you know, we're, we, we can afford to do that. Yeah. So we're going to do that. To, we're going to work on, start working on that as well. Yeah. Because I'm excited now, because like I said, I mean, our goal was, you know, we were like, well, if we can get to 40, that would be awesome. And here we are at almost double that. Yeah. And now I'm like, we're in a position now to where, again, we can, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, pretty much yeah. on helping people, which is, which is fabulous, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, coach. We're, I, I think you got to go get your kids here momentarily. So as we're winding down, I'll ask you this year's question. You're the only person to get to answer all three of my questions so far. So nope. uh, <laughs> big one. Although you've probably in my uh, workout logs, you've probably answered this a, a number of times over the years. 
my question this year is um, how do you stay motivated uh, after failing to reach a goal? Me personally? Yeah. You know, one of the unique things about me I've always felt when I compare myself to other athletes is I've just never had a problem with motivation. I, I, I mean, it's like, okay, I didn't reach it. What am, I'm not, I mean, I guess I, I, I guess for me, it's just, I just view it as giving up is just, or giving up or giving in is just really not ever been on the table for me. Uh, I either go after it again, or I move on to the next thing that was planned. Um, I just, motivation has just never really been a problem for me. You know, I asked that question to um, uh, Olympic rower, Akil Abdullah, um, a while ago in recording, and he had touched on it early in our conversation, but talking about when you fail at something, rather than being so like critical, as he's gotten older, he's gotten to this place where he's like, he approaches it out of a place of curiosity, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the follow-up to what you said is basically like, well, how do you determine whether you should try again or move on? And I don't know what your thought is, but I kind of think it's when you come at it from a place of curiosity, then you can determine whether the point of failure is inside or outside your control and whether that means it's worth attempting again. Like he he made the mention of um, sometimes when you get beat in a race, that guy's just better than you. Like there's, he's just... It just is. There's nothing you can do about it. And it is what it is. But like, if you had a flat tire, because you, you know, you've been running on the same tires for a thousand miles, and you never changed it. Well, that's inside your control. Maybe put a new tire on, you know, like, there, there's a clear distinction between some of those things. Yeah. I played a lot of competitive basketball growing up. And yeah, sometimes here we are in March Madness. And that's something you somehow you sometimes have to learn how to say is that other guy was just flat better. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that because it's hard to be the best in the world. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't happen very often. So it's, it's, it's okay to say that I, you know, I can, I, and I, I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to talk about it, but I know what my biggest failure was as an endurance athlete. I know exactly what it was. And I, I still, I, even with that, um, you know, after recovering from that, uh, my motivation didn't, you know, I, I didn't take up a new hobby you know, type, yeah. type thing. You know, I was just going to get back at it, maybe something a little bit different, but um, I've just never, I, I, I've just always been able to move forward. I think you're getting text messages. Wait, say that again, you cut out on me. So I think you're getting text messages. I think your phone's like vibrating. It's coming across. I my ring doorbell. Uh, okay. So somebody's yeah. at the door. I just knew it was vibrating, but that's okay. We're here at the end. Um, no, let's do the other questions. What, what? The other two questions. The other two questions? I thought you said there was three. No, no, no. You answered the other two on your previous, your previous uh, airings. Oh, the, okay. No, your no, food and your the purpose of sport. As I said, you're, you're the only one that's gotten to answer all three for all three what seasons. Were they? Remind me again. The first year was, um, if you only got to choose one recovery food for the rest of your life, what do you choose? What did I choose? I'd have to go back and look. <laughs> Hopefully PB and J. <laughs> and then I, the other I, one is what was up? Go ahead. 
my go-to lately has just been, I simplified it. Uh, that's coming up a lot today. Yeah. Um, uh, one scoop of isolate wave protein powder yeah. and a bunch of fruit mixed with almond milk. Yeah. That's it. There you go. And then what was the other one? The purpose of sport. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a deep one. Yeah. That was, I've got a whole, if you're listening and you're interested on the YouTube channel, again, youtube.com slash Solpre, there is a compilation video from season two of everybody answering that. What's the purpose of sport? And I found the answers varied so much from the succinct to the long winded, but always somehow really well thought out. So even if you haven't listened to every single episode from the, from the second season, um, it's only available on the YouTube channel. It's worth checking out to hear why we are all doing this because not everybody comes from the same place. Uh-huh. So anyway, I will let you get on with your day. Go pick up your kids so they're not like, where's my dad? He left me. And, all right, uh, Jeff, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for hanging out. All right, we'll see you at 200. <laughs>